0: Hey friends, welcome back to Who May Do the Boss? Brought to you today by Belmont Hotels. On this show, we so often talk about that moment when we first decide to take the leap and really take reins of our lives professionally and personally, whether it's the decision to climb higher into an executive seat or to pursue our own entrepreneurial spirit. So Imagine breaking free from the corporate grind, leaving behind the nine to five routine and creating a thriving online business that not only gives you financial freedom, but also allows you to make a real impact. That is the incredible journey we are about to delve into with our guest today, the remarkable Amy Porterfield. Now, Amy is not your typical success story. She is a former corporate professional who dared to dream bigger and turn her life around. From her days working with iconic brands like Harley Davidson to collaborating with the renowned peak performance coach, Tony Robbins. Opens. Amy's journey is just nothing short of extraordinary, and I'm so grateful for her openness and sharing that with us today. So today in this episode, we'll uncover more about that pivotal moment that led Amy to design her own exit plan from the corporate world, and we will explore how she then went on to become a New York Times bestselling author with two weeks notice, and the dynamic force that she is behind building this multimillion dollar business empire. Today, she manages that expanding empire from Nashville, Tennessee, where she resides with her husband, Hobie, and their trusty Labradoodle Scout, who made it into today's conversation when it came to what made Amy happy today. So if you're ready to be inspired, and if you're ready to learn from someone who's been there and done it, who has often asked herself the question, what was I thinking in making myself the boss? Then you are in the right place. So without further ado, let's dive into this captain conversation of who made you the boss with the one and only Amy Porterfield. Awesome. Welcome, Amy, to the Who Made You the Boss podcast. We are so excited to have you today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, we were just talking a little bit more about being connected through one of our mutual friends, Shannon, who we adore. And it's one of those things like, right, any friend of hers is a friend of mine. And so thrilled to be connected.
1: Same. I feel the exact same way.
0: Well, I want to start kind of in the natural place. I've I've filled the listeners in on your background and your bio and all the amazing things you've achieved, but I, I really want to camp out for a little while on how you got your start. You know, the the idea of this podcast is who made you the boss, and everyone has a different story for how they stepped into their professional lives as leaders. But you had a very interesting story, and in that you took the ultimate risk of leaving a what what sounds like it was a decent, lovable job. Yes. To to pursue something more that you knew you were capable of really. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that journey.
1: So I always say I am an, Uh, ex-corporate girl turned accidental entrepreneur. I really never had my sights set on owning my own business or being my own boss, and I always thought I would be in corporate. So I you know, graduated college, did a few different jobs, and landed at an amazing job working with peak performance coach Tony Robbins. And so I got to travel the world with Tony and the team and work on the content that he does on stage. So if you know anything about Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within, Date with Destiny, these were that I got to work on, and it was incredible. I traveled to the most amazing places, I got to pitch and catch with Tony, I got to do really cool things, and I absolutely loved it. One day, though, I found myself being called to a meeting to take notes. Now, that's a little humbling. I was the director of content development, but in that world, everyone's just taking notes here or there. And so I got called into this meeting and it happened to be a meeting where Tony had brought in a bunch of Internet marketers. They were all men. And Tony was looking to do more online and selling his own digital courses online. And one thing that Tony does really well is he finds people that are killing it, doing really great things. And he finds out what they're doing, dissects it and typically does it even better. So he brought in these, all these online marketers and they sat around this table, I sat at a side table to take notes. I wasn't even invited to the main table. And Tony went around and said, tell me about your businesses. And these guys, all men again, they sold digital courses, memberships, masterminds, some physical products, and they were all in different arenas. So dating advice, um, real estate, investing. So all different walks of life, but they had one thing in common. They were all their own boss. They were all making a lot of money and a really big impact. And so as they went around the table to talk about their businesses, all I heard was freedom. I could tell Mm -hmm. that these guys were calling the shots. And in that moment, I probably took the worst notes of my life because in that moment I thought, I don't know what these guys are doing, but I want a piece of it. It was the Mm -hmm. first time ever I thought, I want to be my own boss and I want to create something by my own design. And so fast forward a year after that fateful meeting, and I had put a plan together of starting my own business. And so a year after that meeting, I packed my car up with all the stuff in my office, drove out of the San Diego offices to start my own business. And that was 14 years ago. And I started out with doing social media for small businesses, one-on-one coaching, consulting, service-based work. But about two years in i realized i hate this i don't like working one-on-one with clients this is not what i had planned and i created uh, a business where i taught through digital courses so now today i teach people how to create their own digital courses how to take their knowledge their know-how and skill set and turn that into a profitable digital course that they can sell in their business ongoingly So I've uh, ushered in over 50,000 students into my digital courses, generated over $85 million in course sales. And it's what I do every single day. And I love it because I help people build businesses with digital courses. That is incredible. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all that. And so
0: I have so many questions too, because there are certain points where you, you, you emphasize very strongly, for example, that it was all men in that room. Right. Yeah. And so there's gotta be something that created like a little bit of a chip on your shoulder to say, I want to be a woman that is leading in this position.
1: Truly. I looked around and thought, where are the women? And it yeah. wasn't that Tony wasn't inviting them to the table. What I learned really quickly is, there weren't a lot of them doing what these guys were doing, you know, online marketing, selling digital courses and memberships and masterminds. It was a man's world 14 years ago, and there are very few women. But I found a few, mm-hmm. and one of the first things I did, even before I left my last job with Tony, I got into a mastermind with uh, a woman that led the mastermind. And there was like 20 entrepreneurial women. All of them were doing bigger things than me, which was a great thing because it allowed me to up level. But I spent a lot of money that I didn't have to get into a group of entrepreneur or entrepreneurial women to learn what I don't know or didn't know at the time. Best decision I ever made. That's incredible.
0: I love it. Well, and our listeners are both men and women, but I, I think it's really important to create more conversations. You know, in this kind of like feels like a little bit of a divisive society at the moment, where it feels like men are being ushered out of the room so women can talk. I want to create more conversations where men feel comfortable listening in to learn what it means to be a woman in business and and how to support them. And so I think you speak to women so beautifully. And I actually I'm going to read this quote from your book two weeks notice because I wrote it down. I thought it was just a powerful quote, and it clearly showed what your mission was, but. It's to see more women, marginalized women, women of color, women of all economic backgrounds, religions, and sexual orientations, hold more positions of power, call the shots, make more waves, make more money, pave their own way on their own terms. That is what you want out of life. And and I think it's really important for us, let's just dive a little bit deeper into like the issues that plague women in business right right like why were there not individuals that were pursuing that path when you first started what do you think it is that that stand in the way for women to actually kind of take this leap
1: you know that's such a great question i think that especially 14 years ago we had so few opportunities to step up and and find our way when i came into the online marketing world It was very hard to be seen and heard because the men were so loud. And I actually don't fault them for that. They had been in this industry for a long time. They had found their way. There were lots of cliques. They called it the syndicate back in the day. There's lots of syndicates of guys helping guys market, and women didn't know how to mobilize in my industry back then. Believe me, now they do. It's incredible the shifts I've seen of uh, women doing amazing things in the online marketing world. But back then, I think the doors were closed to many of the opportunities, and it was very much of man's world. So we call it bro marketing and it was very much alive and well back then where the guys would be standing in front of their Ferraris, saying like, you can make money while you sleep and the, the private jets and that kind of marketing. So a lot of women were like, I want nothing to do with that. Yeah. And so I think we were a little bit slow to get in but there's a few women that paved the way and opened up a lot of doors. And I think women came flooding through. And they're, and they're killing it, doing an amazing job of creating their own digital courses, creating their own masterminds and memberships and all of that good stuff.
0: Beautiful, I love that. I, I think it's important to, maybe something we can talk a little bit more about. And I know that I actually listened to a recent podcast that you did on this topic, that imposter syndrome, right? I think that yes. this is something that is, I think it plagues a lot of professionals, but I think it, it it's very unique to women and how it manifests in us. And, and right. there have been moments where, I often find myself, if I'm on the cusp of evolution, like I feel like all it takes is this this little next step to become a better leader or to, you know, open that part of the company that I've always dreamed of, but I've always been afraid of. You've got that little gremlin in the back of your head. And that's always saying like, well, why you, you know, it's the whole, it's the reason of the cheeky podcast name of who made you the boss. Like that is the gremlin asking that question. So I would love to hear more about your experience with imposter syndrome, the times that you almost talked yourself out of doing what you knew you should have done and and kind of like how you battle that, how you get past that.
1: This is such an important topic. It comes up every single day working with uh, the students in my community as well. You know, I recently heard Mel Robbins, someone I absolutely love. She said uh, her daughter wanted to be, wants to be a singer. And she tells her mom, you know, I feel like an imposter. She's young. She hasn't really gotten a big opportunity yet. She says, I feel like an imposter. And Mel says to her daughter, you're not an imposter. You're just new. That's all. You're just new. Allow yourself to be a beginner and figure out the way to get to where you want to get to. And when she said that, it was so refreshing because we beat ourselves up. Like I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. I'm not worthy of this. I don't deserve this. Uh, who am I to be doing this? Who made me the boss? And really it's like, wait, but you're just new. You're figuring it out. Let yourself learn what you need to learn. And so, For me, imposter syndrome was alive and well, really just leading up to leaving my nine to five job. There was a lot, a lot of those gremlins in my head saying, what are you doing leaving a secure nine to five job, a really good job? It would like boost in my ego It was really cool. What are you doing leaving this behind? So that was like the first battle I had. And then when I went out on my own, I actually launched my first digital course in the first year going out on my own, and it was a huge failure. I made $267, and the program was $297, but when you backed out a few thousand dollars in expenses, my profit was $267. I cried for a week. I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, Luckily, my husband's like, "Uh, we need to do something about this. And I told him, I said, I'm not cut out to be an entrepreneur. I obviously am terrible at this. I'm gonna have to go gravel back from my job. And so right away I made it mean that I wasn't worthy. And so I struggled with this year after year after year for a very long time. And the only thing that has really changed for me and why I don't feel like an imposter is really time and a proven track record. And that's the sad thing about imposter syndrome. It doesn't really go away until you have that time, until you have the track record. So what do you do in the moment when it's rearing its ugly head and you're new and you're just starting out? And my only advice is you do it scared. You do it even though you don't know if you can do it. You show up even though you're not sure if this is going to work out. And the way you do that is your why has to be stronger than your worries who am I to be doing this? I don't have what it takes. I'm going to have to go beg for my job back. Those are all the worries. But my why was I don't want a boss anymore. I do not want a boss. I don't want to be told what to do, when to do it, or how to do it. I wanted freedom more than I was concerned about the worries that came up. So when your why will pick you up as your worries knock you down, that's how you stay in the game and you get past imposter syndrome. I love it. I love it. Well, and I think it's so important for
0: others to hear individuals like yourself who we can very much look at where you've made it now, right? Like You've got a phenomenal thriving business. You just wrote a New York Times bestseller. I mean, you've got really amazing credentials to your name, but for everyone to know you
1: too, Amy Porterfield has dealt with imposter syndrome. Absolutely. And it still comes up to this day, 14 years in, and I still feel it When new projects come up, when new things happen, when I don't get invited to something I thought I would be, all of that. But the only difference now versus 14 years ago is I can snap out of it pretty quickly knowing like, okay, I know what this is. I know why it's here and we're just going to keep moving forward. So it's easier now, but it still shows up. Totally. I feel that. I uh, will never forget, actually, it was Shannon that we mentioned
0: earlier. So for listeners, Shannon is a mutual friend and she is the founder of a company called Belay. And it's a a wonderful company that she's since sold with her husband. But I remember hearing her give a a keynote at an entrepreneurship event that we were at. And she made the comment that every day I wake up and I run a business that is a little bigger than it was the day before. Oh, And that stayed with me because I thought, oh, you're right. I mean every day you have to challenge yourself and recognize that if you want growth, which is the sign of a healthy company and a healthy life, then you're going to have to be challenged every single day with something that's a little bit different than it was the day before. And yeah. that there's that's a breeding ground for insecurity if you let it get a hold of you.
1: Absolutely. But just like being aware of that, like I'm choosing to get up every morning and work on a business that every day is just a little bit bigger. And I thought you were going to say bigger than me. Like I also feel like my business feels bigger than me and it feels scary. And I've got 20 full-time employees now and their livelihood depends on me. And that is very scary to me, but again, You know, my why was always, I wanted freedom. I didn't want to be told what to do, when to do, or how to do it. My why today is very different. I have that freedom. Now it's, I want to help people build businesses so they become their own bosses and they get to have that freedom and call the shots. So my why has changed over time. Um, But I love what Shannon said. Like, you got to find the courage to do that. You do.
0: But I mean, what you just hit on is also a very real... um, Challenge, I think that today's modern professional has, which is this idea that if I want to be in a leadership role, that means I have this really important job of stewarding the people that are following me and, and to take that very seriously, because I, I think I think I actually, you even said this at the start of this, you you didn't set out to become a boss, right? You didn't cut, you never had that inkling of like, I would like to become a boss and a leader. And I think if you did, that might be like some sort of questionable narcissistic trait, right? I think uh, that right. when people are like, you're the boss today, that there's probably a, a bit of a power trip that's happening. Right. So, so there's really this kind of like reconciliation that happens when you do start leading people of, oh, wow. I, I mean, this is a big responsibility. It's also a big mm-hmm. honor.
1: Yes, truly. It truly is. You know, I I don't know why this has happened, but I employ a lot of young women that are having babies. So four women (laughs) on my team of 20 are pregnant and going out on maternity leave soon. And I look at that and I think their little babies get to see their moms kick ass. And I love that because these women are in leadership roles. They're doing big things in my business. And I love that their little girls or little boys get to see them do that. My CEO, she's a new CEO. She um, was promoted in uh, March of this year. Mm -hmm. And she was telling her husband, they were talking about her new role. And Sienna, her little daughter, says like, Mommy, you're a CEO. She has no idea what a CEO is. And she's like, Yeah, I'm a CEO now. And she says, Can Sienna be a CEO? And she's like, Yes, yes, you can. And so I love that her daughter is seeing her do that. That feels very, uh, you're right. It's an honor that I Mm -hmm. get to employ these amazing women and men that are doing big things. And so, but it's also, um, it's a lot. It's a lot to hold. Yeah, as a mom of two
0: girls, that brings tears to my eyes on so many levels, and and I think about this too. You know, I, I know we're spending a lot of time talking about what women face in the professional world, and I think you just are, you bring such a unique perspective to that because it's such a passion of yours. And I think that one of those things that I I personally have dealt with and tried to figure out how do I get past this and I have these different ways of doing it, but um, it's people pleasing, and it's it's the question of you actually had this line in your book. I don't. It might have been a chapter title of. <laughs> You went for everyone, boo.
1: Yep, exactly. Right? Yes.
0: And, and I wonder, I just want to kind of spend some time on that. Cause I, I think about, I think about the first time that my company received a one-star review. right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that moment you like close your eyes, you feel it. Like you feel it in your gut. You know exactly what that feels like, but in the moment it, it just feels like your world is leveled. This is the worst possible thing that could happen to you. Even if the review, I mean, regardless of whether it's ours was about a service we didn't even offer. So it was actually kind of funny, but, and I remember when I received this review, I was in my favorite coffee shop with my husband, who is also my business partner. And he goes, let's pull up the reviews of this coffee shop. You know, you love this place so much. I just want you to see what their one-star reviews are. And there were reviews too that far. were like, coffee shop is too far from my house. You know, like <laughs> they're just crazy one-star so reviews. Sorry. So sorry. Yeah. But it made me, it really made me think about the way that we try to people please, right? Like where we when we get those negative comments, like what we do when we internalize those, I, I would just love to hear kind of like how you have learned to get past that professionally.
1: So, yeah, it's, uh, I am an absolute people pleaser. You know, for many years, I said I'm a recovering people pleaser, but I just see those tendencies come up with me. I just kind of own it that I am a people pleaser, but I'm very aware of it. So I try to, you know, uh, protect myself around it. Um, but that chapter, You Ain't For Everyone Boo, came up because one of my dear friends, Jasmine Starr, I uh, sent her a text message many years ago And I said, I'm freaking out this guy in the comments of one of my social media posts is telling me that I'm wrong about what I'm teaching. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm a joke. I'm like, I'm freaking out. Everyone can see it. And she started laughing and she's like, yay for everyone, boo. It's no big deal. And like, (laughs) she was so nonchalant about it, that it kind of like took this weight off my shoulder. And then we had this big discussion about like, you can't build a business online where the whole world can see you yeah. and think that everyone is going to like you. And if everyone likes you, then your message is so watered down that it's not making an impact to anyone. They just don't care. I don't I don't like you, I, I like you, I don't like you, I'm neutral. So you don't wanna be neutral online. And so when I started to realize, oh, everyone's not gonna like me and people are gonna say some mean things about me, and that just comes with building the business online, I started to just be more okay with it. Now I will Mm -hmm. tell you this, I'm a sensitive kind of girl, so I don't read comments a lot. Um, My team helps me do that. They'll delete nasty, mean things that they see, but I don't spend a lot of time in the comments. Now, the person that does spend too much time in my comments is my husband, where we will be watching TV and he'll say, who's this jerk? What is he saying? Or why is he saying that? I'm like, babe, get out of the comments. We we can't look at that stuff, especially on Facebook. It's bad. And so he started to look and get really upset and frustrated. So I'm like, get out of the comments. But yeah, I just, I've gotten stronger because I know my message resonates with so many people. And if it's resonating with everyone, it's too watered down. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's beautiful too. Because when you think about, I, I remember getting this advice when leading a travel agency in the middle of a pandemic, right? So like a very difficult time of, it doesn't necessarily even matter which side you stand on, what you stand on stand for something because yes. whether this is that you are keeping the lights on and you're marching forward, or you've got to go into hibernation mode, just stand for something. Don't stick in the middle where people don't know what to follow. So that's I think that's true. absolutely right to make your impact. You, you can't try to please everyone. You have to go in the direction yeah. that is right for you.
1: So very true. It's an important lesson to learn. and It's not easy for sure. Yeah.
0: Belmond is a collection of 47 iconic hotels, trains, and river cruises worldwide. Culture, well-being, and cuisine take center stage in curated adventures from the Mediterranean to Machu Picchu. Inspiring retreats are set on Caribbean beaches, by the edge of Iguazu Falls, and overlooking the Amalfi Coast. Awe-inspiring train journeys include the legendary Venice Simplon Orient Express and Andean Explorer. Intoxicating river cruises plunge guests into the heart of France. Belmont celebrates the art of travel in extraordinary ways. Experiences range from gliding through Thailand's Emerald Jungles and seeking edgy art in Tuscany to riding on horseback through the Okavango Delta. For more information on Belmont, visit Belmont.com or contact your travel advisor. Don't have a travel advisor? Lucky for you, I've got some connections at Jetset World Travel, which happens to be a Belmont Bellini Club member, giving our travelers access to exclusive benefits when traveling with Belmont Collection anywhere in the world. Visit JetsetWorldTravel.com to connect with one of our experts and bring your trip to life. I had a really interesting conversation um, with Carlos Whitaker, if you are familiar with him and, and his work, but he is a guest as well. And he wrote a book called How to Human. And the conversation that we just had was a- about what he's focusing on as his next project, which is the time we spend on our devices, the time we spend away from where we should be and on our you know, like where our head should actually be. So I think it's really wise for you as a leader to say. I know the things that are going to trigger me or going to put me in a bad headspace. And I'm going to just simply avoid those things and have like a front line of defense that's actually yes. helping you with that.
1: Absolutely. I think that is so important to have that front line of defense, be very aware of what's going on. It helps immensely.
0: Yeah. I'm curious too, because I heard you do a recent conversation on burnout. And I think burnout is something that applies to Every single professional, especially over the last few years where people's job descriptions a lot of times completely changed or, you know, they had to start over in what their profession was or they thought it was. And I'm just curious to hear more of your thoughts on where where I stand on burnout is every time that I've had it, it's actually been kind of like a big blinking red light of something is wrong and you need to change something. So for me, it's almost like my body's response to, hey, something's got to give, you have to make a change. and And I'm curious when, you know, kind of to interpret burnout as a symptom versus a warning sign and what you do with that information when it, when it occurs to you.
1: That's such a great question because my recent burnout, the one I did on my podcast was I launched this book in February. So six months leading up to launching the book, I did a huge pre-sale campaign. And then a few months afterwards continued to get on stages and talk about my book. And then I found myself fully burned out. Like, I didn't want to talk about the book, I didn't want to talk to anybody, I didn't want to get on another airplane. And so I'm 14 years in and I still have my ebbs and flows of burnout or kind of pushing it a little bit too hard one thing that i do remind myself with burnout is that i was in a season i was in a season to do whatever it took to get my book out into the world and get into as many hands as possible and i knew that season would come to an end where life would get back to normal so when i compartmentalize my business in different seasons like right now i'm in a launch september 28th this launch is over and i'm out of my launch season That is important to me to be able to know when the white space is coming or when I'm all in. And also when I'm all in that my family is aware this is a season of craziness right now. Like my husband was a book widow for a while, but we had talked about it in advance and we took this beautiful (laughs) vacation after. Right now he knows September, I I am in launch mode and I'm rarely present but I'm out of it in October and we plan fun things and we do things. So one of the ways I combat this burnout is knowing I'm in a season or not. It doesn't mean that at the end of the season, I don't feel burned out, but I know that there's a reprieve coming. But to get back to what you said earlier, I do think that sometimes... If you're hitting burnout over and over and over again and you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, we need to look at what you're working on. You're likely not staying in your zone of genius. You're doing a lot of things that don't come natural to you, that you don't like doing, that you just kind of want to scream. And that's when we have to look at delegating, automating or eliminating in our business because You can't every day wake up and do things you don't want to do in your business and think that that's going to be sustainable. It's absolutely not. And so if this is an ongoing thing, that burnout keeps coming up, coming up, we got to change what you're working on and maybe get you some support. But then again, the other way to look at it is, is this a season and will I be out of it soon? Yeah.
0: That's wonderful to be able to kind of better identify. And I think that actually answers the exact question, right? Is this just a symptom or a warning sign? It's, is it happening over and over and over again? Um, when you come out of those seasons, it sounds like you are very intentional with your time. Can you tell us more about like it's vacations, it's rest. Like what is it, is it big picture thinking? Like what, what revitalizes
1: you and gets you ready to go back into another season of hustle? So for me, definitely we plan a trip way in advance. It's funny you bring up Shannon, because Shannon and Brian Miles, uh, they were part of our big vacation that we went on. We went to this really fun Florida retreat uh, together, and we absolutely had so much fun. So that was a special moment that I knew was coming up and I got to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Um, But another way that I get ready for my next season is I make sure, so we work a four-day work week in my business. Mm -hmm. So we work Monday through Thursday. We take Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off the whole team. And so making sure that I'm getting back to my four-day work week, because when I'm in like a launch mode, we'll work this Friday. It's just one Friday out of the month, but we're working. So I get back to no nights. I'm not working at night. I do not have my laptop in my lap watching a show with my husband at nighttime. The computer's away, the phone's away. I make sure I have my nights free, my weekends free. Um, I take some time off during the week if I need to. Lots of white space before I get back into um, another really busy season. For me, though, uh, this is the part that I love about owning my own business. I choose a promotion calendar that allows me a lot of white space. So once mm-hmm. September 28 hits and my, my uh, program is filled up, every week I'm delivering on that program, but that's just one day a week. October, November, December are pretty light for me. Mm-hmm. And then we'll ramp up again in January. So that is absolutely by design. So I'm a very big fan of a 12-month promotional calendar where we do this in October and we work on it for a good month. We have to add things, uh, subtract things, move things around. But we plan out our entire promotional calendar for the next year. And we make sure we see a lot of white space between those promotions. So we're very intentional about it. I love that. That's great advice, especially if you are in
0: control of your schedule or you have a business that is very seasonal and you can kind of know when do I capture this momentum? When can I actually ride off of that momentum and actually give myself a little breather? Because yeah. I think if you don't create that white space, then this is just your life always, right? Like you're just yes. always working or you are just completely unable to turn off. So that it's very, very smart to be intentional like that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, something that we talk about on this podcast a lot, I I've dubbed it because I I spend a lot of time writing on it. I've dubbed this as the monsters that save us. This is this idea that there is a big, scary thing that we always have feared, especially when it comes to our, our professional lives. I think that oftentimes, like, especially as you're building a business, the fear is oftentimes, well, what if one thing happens and it just levels it right. And, And you just, you, it keeps you up at night. And and I did have that happen. I mentioned running this company in a pandemic. It absolutely happened for 18 plus months. But I found that that happening relieved me of the fear and actually allowed me to operate with more freedom. And, and so ultimately, it was this big, scary monster that led to a really beautiful season of redemption and of discovery. And I feel like each of us have obstacles that we turn into opportunities. And I would love to talk a little bit more about any similar seasons that you've had or any instances that you feel like Wow, I thought that was going to level me, but in retrospect, it made me who I am.
1: Oh, absolutely. I've had a few, but the one that I talk about in my book that was the one I didn't want to talk about the most, I didn't want anyone to know, is that about three years into my business, I had hit the almost the million-dollar mark. That, that year, we had hit $950,000 in the business. It was just me and a really small team. And uh, it was doing great. And I was in a mastermind with a bunch of other people. And there's this one guy that was just killing it doing amazing things. And I asked him if he'd help me with something. And his idea was, let me be a 50-50 partner in your business. Mm. And I could help you skyrocket this. Mm. Now I'd like to tell you that I took weeks and weeks to decide I consulted lawyers, mentors really thought about this. One night's sleep, I woke up the next morning and said yes. And the reason for that is I was raised by a really strict father, it was his way or the highway. And then in my corporate years, I always had male bosses. And there's something in me, I hate to admit this, but I always thought that I needed a man to help Mm. me, to get me out of a pickle, to be by my side. And I didn't want to be alone on this journey. And so when this man said, I see potential in you and I think your business would be amazing, let me help you. I said, yes. So we got into this partnership, a business I had created that almost hit that million dollar mark and we became 50, 50 partners of the business. And for a few years, the business arrived. It was soaring like I was on the map. People knew who I was, what I was going to help them with, and we became a multi-million dollar business very quickly. He's incredibly strategic and smart. But what happened was I fully lost myself in this relationship. He became my boss, and this is by no fault of his, I allowed this to happen. When something didn't go right, I looked to him. When I was worried about something, I asked him if we were going to be okay. When we would get on phone calls, I would leave with 20 action items to his one. He just kind of knew how to keep his boundaries, and I had no boundaries whatsoever. So about three or four years in, I realized this partnership's not working for me. And so I got the courage to go to him and say, "I I want out. And that was, and the next year was hell trying to get out. We didn't have a really good legal contract in place. We could not agree on what I would owe him to buy back my business. And we could not come to an agreement for an entire year. I think I cried every single day because I was losing this business that I had created because the alternative was we had to dissolve it all. And I had to start over and he had other businesses. I didn't, this is my only thing. And I felt like I gave birth to this business. I've never had a child of my own. And so this business was everything to me. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, finally I woke up, I don't know what happened, but it was about a year in and I woke up one morning and I told myself, I will burn it down and build it back better. I am done with this. I will burn this down and build it back better because we were in limbo. I wasn't launching. I wasn't budging. He wasn't budging. My business was slowly uh, going down the drain. And so I went to him and I said, last, last thing we're going to do, I'm going to suggest mediation. And he said, yes. And so we went into mediation. It was the craziest experience in my life. I've never been with a bunch of lawyers and a bunch of back and forth, back and forth. But at the end of that day, My business was mine again. We agreed to a number that both of us felt good about. My business was mine again. And my whole life changed in that moment. And I tell this story because I made a lot of mistakes in that uh, that experience. I almost lost my business. But the day it became mine, I was a different person. I found my voice again. I started speaking up. I started doing things the way I wanted to do them. And within 18 months, we went from 5 million to 16.5 million in the business. And that's when I knew I'm gonna be okay. I never knew I could do it alone until I was forced to. And that like inner Beyonce came out of me, like I will burn this down and build it back better. Like if you don't wanna go to mediation, I'm done. But he said, yes. So. I think what we have to all remember is that when things scare us, when things aren't working out when we're not sure if we can figure it out, look behind you because we've all gone through things that are proof that we are resilient and we will figure this out.
0: Ah, that is all so... Good. Okay. I have so many things to ask and and just think about, but even at the very beginning, when you were talking about the things that you learned when it came to the conditioning that you had growing up, feeling like I need a man to rely on, or I, I, you know, that is, that is such an interesting belief. And I I think, um, it, it resonates with me because I grew up with mostly male mentors. And, and again, in speaking in this conversation today, it's so that men can better understand like what females, how we're designed differently and, uh, and just, the ways in which oftentimes we overlook that. And so for me, one of those examples was my male mentors, whenever I was having a business struggle would tell me, well, you just need to get thicker skin. Like, like, as though you could just like go pick it up at Staples, right? Like it's just, it's next to the the printing ink.
1: Yes, exactly. And I
0: struggled. I would, I would just like, well, maybe the way to thick skin is to callous and is to like sit in this negative and to keep going through and to listen to the men. And then it was like an abundantly clear day where I realized, wait a minute, I think that the thin skin or what I've been calling thin skin is actually my intuition. I think that I'm actually trying to mask that because we're wired so differently and, and men might be able to lead very confidently. And to your point, he is able to keep his boundaries because that's something that men are just really wonderfully equipped at naturally. I see that with my husband all the time when we, when we go into a conversation where he has a strong opinion and I'm still trying to form my opinion. I'm like, Don't give me your strong opinion yet because you're so, you're so resolute. You already know. And I, I have a knowing I kind of have to like spelunk into, you know, and sit with. And so I think that was a really beautiful testament of understanding, using that to understand yourself and to see where you could step into your power. And And it sounds like it made you a better leader
1: oh yeah my whole life changed after that moment but i i love the example you just gave because i too have male mentors so any man man that's listening i love men and i think that you know I, i work with a lot of men and my uh business mentor is um a father of five girls and so he's very sensitive he's perfect for me because i'm sensitive But I got on, during my book launch, uh, you get a lot of no's during a book launch, even if you've been around for a long time. And it's a very big blow to the ego. I always tell my girlfriends that are writing books, if you want your ego hit every single day, write a book, because you're gonna be stronger after this. And so I was getting no's like from today's show and Good Morning America and all these things that I wanted. And I was really, really upset about it. And so I got on a coaching call with him and I was so embarrassed, I started crying. And I said to him, I need you to teach me how to be more mentally strong. I need to have a stronger backbone. I need to be able to get through these moments and be more mentally tough. That's what I told him. I said, teach me mental toughness. And this sweet man with five daughters said, your sensitivity is your superpower. You are sensitive and you are powerful. All at the same time, he said, I'm not teaching you anything different this is why you do what you do, how you do it, why people love you, this is your superpower." And I could cry right now thinking about it because it was the first time that someone validated it's okay that these things hurt you. It's okay that you're sensitive and behind the scenes that you cry. I don't get on social media and cry my eyes out or anything, but behind closed doors, those things hit me really hard. And he said, but it makes you who you are. And I think I did a whole podcast about this because I think all of us have a weakness that is likely our superpower if we really look at it and see how has this helped me navigate my life. And so I think we all have it. I completely agree. And I
0: think that is a really wonderful way of putting it too, that it's almost like the the gifts and the skills we have, right? Like you you mentioned earlier, um, your genius that you like work in it. That's probably yeah. a, like a larger. Zone of genius. Or yeah. Some, yeah, Exactly. But I think a lot of times we overlook those things because we're actually so good at them because they're so natural to us. Right. Yes. And so we take it for granted and think, well, no, anyone can do that. Like I, I, it's interesting that you mentioned writing because I am in the process of writing a book and I feel everything you just said, but writing has always been a gift that I often overlooked because I thought, well, oh. I, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy. And and yeah. it's not to everyone. So it, it's Life just feels like this constant quest for figuring out what are those superpowers that I have actually been taking for granted.
1: Mm. I love that. It's such an important thing for all of us to consider. I hope everyone listening right now Mm. that you're gonna take a minute and think, what do I see as a weakness that could actually be my superpower? And could I step into it more? Yes, any tips for those listeners as they're trying to figure that out? What has helped you the most in figuring that out? Yes, so number one, you have to think about where do you beat yourself up the most when you're when you've got that negative self-talk what what do you think is your problem because truly i really believe that my problem was i do not have mental toughness and so first you have to identify where is it and then ask yourself okay so if you don't have this thing that you think you should have what do you have what does it look like and so again for me it looked like i'm just very sensitive i feel everything And then the question to ask yourself is, okay, that thing, I think that is my weakness. Where has it served me? Where does it show up? How does it make me be more compassionate, more empathetic, a better person, more open minded, whatever it is, where does it show up that it could actually be what I need or what somebody else needs from me? And that's how I identified it when he's like, wait a second, this makes you the person you are. I saw it instantly. And so it really has helped me stop beating myself up so much because I am really good at that part.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I completely agree with that. And I think that that is something I would imagine most people are able to relate right. to, right? It's, it's a lot that we've talked about when it comes to the imposter syndrome. It, it's if we let the gremlins get in our head and tell us where we are not capable and we believe those things. Um, this has been such a great conversation. I am so thankful for all of your wisdom and your insight. I, I feel like everything you stand for. Whenever I go and listen to your podcast, which please, please, please listeners go check out Amy's podcast is phenomenal. You're just talking about the the unique challenges that I feel like today's modern professionals face. It, they're really important things to, to open up about so that others can know that they're not alone.
1: Yes. And that's my goal. I just want others to know you're not alone. You're not weak, different broken. We all are in this together, especially entrepreneurs and business builders and and people that are uh, leading others. We need to stick together because we have yeah. unique challenges that not everyone does have. So I love your podcast for that because I think it does yeah. just that.
0: Thank you. Well, thanks for leaning into who made you the boss today because you have yes. really taught us some wonderful lessons. So for us all to stick together, what is the best way for listeners to keep in touch with all things Amy Porterfield
1: and uh, follow along with you? My podcast is called Online Marketing Made Easy. So I've got over 600 episodes that you can dig into. And I'm most active on Instagram. So I'm just at Amy Porterfield. So thanks for asking. Lovely. Okay, Amy.
0: Thank you. This is a wonderful. Oh, wait! I almost forgot to ask you my question that I love asking people because oh, okay. we we like to end on this note, right? It's this idea that every day we can have something we're grateful for. And my family that has evolved to the dinner time conversation, which is often my three year old saying, "What is your happy today?" So, Aww. Amy Porterfield, what is your happy today?
1: I love that so much. So my happy today is that I had time to not only get a workout in, but take my dog for a walk before I started. And that's my most favorite thing to do. when I can get outside before I start the work week.
0: I love it. And we even give a, a shout out to it's a Labradoodle Scout. Yes. Right? Scout. Scout. Yep.
1: So, yes. Scout bringing it
0: full circle. <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Amy. We appreciate your time today. Thanks, my friend. Take care. That lovely listeners brings us to the end of today's episode. We truly hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the world of leadership and professional development with who made you the boss. If you've gained some valuable insights today, we would love to hear from you. Please take a moment, go to your favorite podcast platform, search for who made you the boss and leave us a five-star rating and review. That feedback helps us tremendously as we're creating content that resonates and empowers. Stay connected with us too, by visiting lindsayupperly.com. And there you can subscribe to our newsletter and ensure you never miss an episode or an exciting update. You can connect with me personally as well on Instagram and LinkedIn, and let's continue the conversation with ourselves and other like-minded individuals who are redefining what it means to be the boss of our own lives. So thank you listeners for being a part of this journey. And until next time, remember, you have the power to shape your destiny. So keep leading, keep learning, and most importantly, Keep being the boss of your own incredible story.